Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. So when it comes to the book of James, there has been no small controversy throughout the ages. You go, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, well, listen, listen. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther, the great reformer in 1522, after reading and understanding the book of Romans, looked at the book of James and quite honestly doubted the authority of it. As a matter of fact, he claimed, and I quote, it contradicts Paul's teaching justification by works. He says, this is not good. This is, this, uh-uh. The earliest editions Luther wrote from his famous comment, St. James the Epistle, really is an epistle of straw compared to St. Paul's letters. Why? For it lacks this evangelical character. Luther, however, never declared James or any other New Testament book non-canonical, meaning part of the scripture. He quotes from James occasionally, But later on in Luther's life, he recanted his position by simply understanding what James was speaking about. And that, this morning, church, is what I want to talk to you about. What is James really talking about? Why? Because at first read, we discover that James seems to be talking about works. Works. As a matter of fact, in the opening verses, James declares in James chapter 2, verse 14, he says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Notice the question mark. Now, again, when we look at this, this is really, really deep. And here's what I want you to think about. From this verse, we tend to lean towards James telling us that you and I are justified by works. You would look at it and go, oh, well, yeah, that's, that's what he's saying. You go, wait, 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 how's that? What are, you, what are you talking about? Well, listen, without proper Bible study, we can leave here thinking that if we don't work, then we may not be saved. And yet, Paul clearly says that we're saved by faith, not works. And like, wow. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave us this morning? Well, let me... Let me point out to you that James is not in any way contradicting the Apostle Paul. In fact, James is complimenting him. How so? How so? Take note, church, that this portion of Scripture, James is not talking about works as his main point. But he's talking about faith. As a matter of fact... It's the same type of faith that Paul describes in his letters. And once again, listen, you got to write this down somewhere in your notes. Faith is the key doctrine to the Christian life. How so? The sinner is saved by faith. We're saved by faith. We're going to see that in Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9, and 10. The believer also, according to Corinthians, must walk by faith. And in Hebrews, it tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. And whatever we do apart from faith, according to Romans 14, 23, is sin. So what did I do? I came here and I entitled this message, The Great Pretender. Simply put, James is going to call our faith on the carpet, if you will. 
He's going to look way deep down in our lives and in our walks. And James will tell us today, if you are really a Christian, then the fruit of your lives will show what you really believe. The fruit of your lives will show what you believe. Now, as we study God's word, we discover that James is talking about the relationship between faith and works. There's a relationship there. And this is an important discussion for we are, for, for, for think about this. If we're wrong in this matter, then we actually jeopardize our eternal salvation. So we, we need to know. So the questions that come to mind if you're taking note is you would ask this What kind of faith really saves a person? What kind of faith? Okay, that's a good question, Pastor Ben. Is it necessary to perform good works in order to be saved? How can faith tell a person or not if he's exercising true saving faith? Very, very important. These are great questions that we have to ask. So today, this morning, in our study, James is going to answer these questions. How so? He's going to explain to us that there are three kinds of faith. Three kinds of faith. But only one of them, you ready, is a faith of true saving faith. How so? Well, let me give you the three, okay? These are not mine. These are actually Pastor Warren Wearsby's, but I can read, and so I'm going to give them to you the way he writes them. First of all, he declares that there is a dead faith. There is a dead faith. Write that down. We're going to see that there is a faith that's dead. Number two, he's also saying there's going to be a demonic faith, a demonic faith. Oh, no, no, not that, not that, that demons believe, but they actually do believe. We'll look at that in just a minute. And then he ends up giving us a dynamic faith. So three types of faith. You got a dead faith, you got a demonic faith, and we here at Calvary Chapel guys should have that dynamic faith. Now, before we jump into our study, I feel it's important to clear the air about the faith which James talks about, or we will misunderstand what he wants to teach us. Now I want to show you something. Hold your hold your place here and go over to Ephesians. You should already be there. Ephesians, guys, you know this, but let's let's break it down just a little bit because I want to show you something amazing. Ephesians chapter 2, picking it up in verse 8, Paul the apostle writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Everybody goes, Amen! Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, this is, again, think about this. What's, what's he saying? Because James is going to talk about works. Paul is talking about not works. What are we doing here? No, 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 listen, stay with me. I want you to see what Paul is teaching us. You've got to jot this down because it's going to change the way you see things. What Paul here in Ephesians is talking to us is something called the root of faith and the foundation is which we are saved. Now, if I had a visual aid and I took a plant, I didn't, I didn't get one, but I've got a plant, okay, and I took and I would take the plant out of its pot, what would you see? You would see the roots, the roots trying to find its way and go through. All of you know about roots, okay? And so what Paul is trying to show us is that the foundation of your faith, that eternal faith, the one that when you close your eyes, you're going to go to heaven because you have put your faith and trust in Christ. It's all the root of what's happening in your life. It's all the root. As a matter of fact, 
he goes on to mention, after he, after he deals with the roots, he goes in verse 10 and he says, for we are his what? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good work. No, 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 no. Let's go back, guys. We really got to grasp this because I want you to show because it's, it's going to just compliment James. He goes back and he says, for by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith and that not of yourselves. There's nobody in heaven boasting, hey, I did all this, I did this, I did this, hey, this is why I'm here. He says, through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works. But then in verse 10, he said, but we are, work, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, li- listen to this in the New Living, because it breaks it down a little easier for us to read. You ready? For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do things that he planned for us long ago. So you're saved by faith. These are the roots going down, your foundation. You're saved by faith. But he's also said, okay, part of that faith is I've created good works for you. I've created good works for you. And and again, if we were to go back in James... James wants to teach us, oh, oh, not the root of faith, you ready? But the fruit of faith. So Paul teaches us the roots going down, holding onto a strong foundation, and James comes, awesome, way to go, high five, Paul. But he says, but now I want to teach you the fruit. The fruit of faith, listen to me, write this down. Same faith, two different elements. Same faith, Two different elements. Paul deals with the root. Can I get an amen? amen? James deals with the fruit. That's what we're going to look at today. It's the same faith. What faith is that? Salvation by putting your faith and trust in Jesus, but now the fruit of a transformed heart. Your attention, please. How many of us have ever seen somebody get, quote unquote, saved Come up to the altar, cry, oh, Jesus, pray a prayer, walk out the doors, and nothing had ever changed. They go back to the same lifestyle, they go back doing the same things, and we sit here and wonder, going, well, I wonder if it didn't take. I wonder if he wasn't real serious. I'm not sure. What's going on? Uh, Did you? Because again, what happens is that it's not a prayer that saves you, guys, because words alone aren't sufficient to save. It has to be a transforming work of God's Holy Spirit in our heart. And the way there is evidence that you are truly saved is by the fruit you now bear. That's what he's going to talk about. The fruit. So in James, say goodbye to Ephesians. Come back to James with a good understanding. What does James want to teach us? Well, guess what? We've had a series of tests so far on Sunday morning, but now we're going to take the fifth and the final test to to measure our hearts towards God. How are we being a strong Christian? Now, here's what you need to know. When the book of James begins to teach, it doesn't give us a snapshot of who we are. It gives us an x-ray of our heart. And that's important. You go, why? Why is it important? Church, listen, it's important to see who we are on the inside, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm very good at modifying my behavior. I can modify my behavior to 
to, to, to be part of any, hey, hey, how you, God bless, I can say all the right Christian words, but that's just a snapshot of who I'm, is that who Ben, oh, I love Ben, Ben is amazing, he's just great, but what's deep in my heart, and James says, hey, let's look deep in your heart, okay, okay, James, and, and a lot of times it's a mirror of what's going on in our heart, but here's what we, we got, here's what's got to happen, when God begins to do that x-ray of our heart, and there's some things that are not right, we need to fix it. We need to repent. We need to look deep in our heart and say, Lord, where am I? Where am I? So what test is he giving us? If you're taking note, jot this down. This is the test of good works. The test of good works. So, so what's the test of good works? Well, let's go back. Let's talk about the test. Let's, let's talk at point number one. Let's see what, what a dead faith looks like. A dead faith, picking up in verse 14, guys. James chapter 2, verse 14. James writes, What does it profit my brethren? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? So James Church thinks it's impossible that someone can be genuinely have the saving faith but offer no works. In other words, no fruit. But someone can say, man, I have faith, but fail to show forth good works. So the question still is valid. Can that kind of faith save him? Okay, let's make it a little bit deeper. You go, Pastor, I'm saved. And it's like, is there any good fruit coming from your salvation? Has your heart changed into a way where now you're blossoming in the word of God? And you go, oh, well, I I really, you know what? Listen, listen, I prayed a prayer and I'm good now. I'm no, I'm, I believe in God, and that's all I do. I don't, I don't read the Bible. I don't tell anyone. I just live me. Blah, blah, blah. And James would argue with you, and he goes, no, 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 that's not a saving faith. I want you to think about this. Do you guys remember your wedding day, those of you that are married? Do you remember your wedding day? You're like, yeah. I remember sitting here, <laughs> and she looked, and, 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 and when she came down the aisle, that's the best she's going to look the rest of her life. And you look at her and you go, oh, and, and guys, some guys cry and they're like, oh, you know, and they, uh, and all this stuff. And so, and so they get married and they come before and it's just like amazing. And you're just super excited. You're super excited. But can you imagine that type of marriage? Can you imagine? You sat here before, you know, the pastor and you held hands. You said, I love you. I pledge my love to you. Oh, you know, and you're just, and then you never, ever, ever, ever do anything for your wife at that point. Well, what kind of love is that? Well, I told her I loved her back in 1988 when we got married. If anything would have changed, I would have told her. You go, that's silly. That's silly. Well, that's what James is wanting to get to us. He's wanting to say, hey, how can you say you love your wife and then go home and sit on the couch 24-7 and not do anything? No affection, no love, no no, no communication, no conversation. So, James is trying to teach that in our walks with God. So let me give you a brief background who James is writing to. You ready? James wrote to Christians from a Jewish background who discovered the glory of salvation by faith. But they knew the exhilaration of freedom from righteous from works righteousness. But they went to the extreme of thinkings that works didn't matter at all. So, in this verse, 
does James contradict Paul, who insisted that we are saved by faith and not works? No, 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 no. Listen, here's why. James merely clarifies for us the kind of faith that saves. We are saved through, or we are saved by grace through faith and not of works. But saving faith will have works that accompany it. As the saying goes, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. It has good works with it. So Paul understood the necessity of works in providing character for our faith. Here's what he wrote. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that those, that those should walk in them. But he also wrote, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Titus chapter 3, verse 8. So he's, going, so he's saying, listen, I know you're saved by faith, but the only way we can tell is that you have a heart blossoming in good works and fruit. And then what James does is he goes, okay, now I've laid it out there. He's turned on the x-ray machine, if you will. And now he's seeing our heart and he goes, okay, let me, I've just dropped a bomb. I just dropped a bomb because you would stomp your feet and go, no, I'm saved by faith. He goes, yeah, I get that. Faith is the element, but let's look at your heart. Are there works coming from that? Are there good works? Are there good works? And I wonder why you and I as believers do what we do. Why do we pray? Why do we retake time to read our Bible? Why do, we, why, are we, why do we return things that are found instead of putting them in our pocket and going on our merry way? Why is it that you, Nathalie, have returned money to the teller that they have given you more than you were? Hey, it's a blessing. She, she messed up. That's her. No, no, no. You went back and said, hey, you gave me too much. Why do we do that? Because the heart has been transformed to serve a God that's what being saved means. And so James comes and says, okay, let me, let's see if we can illustrate this. Look at verse 15 with me. He said, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, oh, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does that profit? Thus, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Is dead. Guys, think about this. This is, I mean, can you imagine? Let's illustrate it this way. Here we are on a Sunday morning, and, and a poor, poor believer comes into Calvary Chapel. And, he, and, he's, and he's, he, he doesn't have the proper clothing, and he's in need of food. James says that the person with dead faith, will notice the visitor. Hi, how you doing? Will look at his need, but then doesn't do anything to meet that need. Says, oh, be warmed and filled. And here's how we do it. We say, oh, I have the means to meet that need, but I'll tell you what, let me just pray. I'll pray for you. Let me pray for you. God bless you. Let's pray. Let's pray right now. And here's the time. We all can use prayers. There's a time to pray, but there's a time to give food. You understand that? There was a time to go, man, we're going to pray for you, bro. And, and, and the guy says, yeah, but listen, I'm starving. And, and here's the problem. The problem is in our culture, in our society, we have a lot of people who come in and go, I'm destitute. I need food. I need that. And then they, they go down the, the, the path there and get into 
you know, $40,000 car and drive home, and they're, they're trying to buck the system. But what he's talking about is real people with real needs. Real people with real needs. We want to be the type of people that meet the needs, but I've got to tell you, look at me, church, this is deep, because we can modify our behavior to try to win brownie points with God. Oh, no, no, here you go. Here, I'll pay for that, right, God? Okay, now you've got to bless me. You see? And we do that modifying our behavior, but what actually should happen is the heart has been transformed by the grace of God. We're born again, and naturally we're like, oh, I've got to help. If I can, I've got to help. Not because God's watching, but because I know that he's living in me. And the God of the universe would want to do the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, me, let me help. Or we're, or we're men and women enough to go, I'm sorry, I don't have anything right now, but let me see what I can do. Let me see if I could help. Let me figure out something. I will do my very best. My very best. We've got to be careful of simply giving a few religious words or that Christian ease, and yet that visitor went away hungry just as he came in. Just as he came in. So the question in verse 14 is valid, right? It could actually read, can that kind of faith save him? You might say, what kind of? What kind? The kind that has never seen any practical works. Well, Captain Obvious, you know him, right? The answer would be no. No. Why? Ready? When anyone who declares or professes to be a fully devoted follower of God by faith that does not result in a changed life and good works, well, that would be a false declaration. Let that sink in, church. When you and I... We put on the face of Christianity and we say, man, I am a follower of God. And yet, our heart is bent on no works, no help. What is true? What is true? A man's works, says one, are the tongue of his heart. Tell honestly whether he is inwardly corrupt or pure. Notice verse 17 with me. Thus also faith by itself, which means alone, if it does not have works, is dead. So what does a dead faith person, or what does a dead faith look like in a person? What does it look like? Catch this. The person with a dead faith has only an intellectual experience In his mind, he knows the doctrine of salvation, but he never, ever submitted himself to God and trusted Christ for that salvation. In a real simple form, it never made the 18 inches from his brain to his heart. Now, think about this. Think about this. This is deep. He's giving us an x-ray of our heart. Why? Because when you think about that, guys, when you think about we, we can have an intellectual experience... Here's what happens. We're made up intellectually and we're made up emotionally. And sometimes they don't connect, but we have an emotional experience. And intellectually, we can realize, oh, if I do this, then my life will be fixed. 
So if I just come to this church and I'm bawling and I'm, and I'm having a hard time and I don't know what to do and I go to the pastor and the pastor says, hey, what you really need is you need to submit your life to Jesus because that's the very first thing we need to do. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And intellectually you say, yeah, I think that's a great idea. If I do this, will my, will my circumstances change? And I said, I don't know, let's trust God. Okay, well, I pray and I pray this prayer and okay, I'm saved and I wipe the tears from my eyes and my circumstances eventually do change. But it's never reached the 18 inches for a heart that's transformed. So what happens? We go back to our old ways. Oh, God, thank you. I'll take it from here. I'll take it from here, God. I'm good. I'm good. And that's what James goes, no, 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 no. Listen, faith by itself, man, if it doesn't have works, he goes, it's a dead faith. It's a dead faith. You guys know this one. You'll see it tonight in the football game. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? Faith in Christ brings life. And then what happens? Growth and fruit. Growth and fruit. Okay? Every, every spring or so, Joe Mabry plants a garden. I don't know if he's going to do it this year. But if you'll ever go out to his house, there's a big patch of, of dirt that he plants, and he plants different types of things. His onions are really big. Sometimes they're the size of cantaloupe. But what happens is that however it starts, if he gets a little bulb or he does a seed, however he decides to do it that year, it always starts off with the root going in first. And then we'll say, hey, Joe, you got any onions? He goes, not yet. We're coming. And what is he doing? He's watering, he's cultivating, he's pulling the weeds, he's doing all of this stuff. And eventually, you'll see a little green thing go, bing. What's happening is growth. Growth. You guys with me so far? And so a little bit later on, Joe, you got any onions? Going to make some salsa, I need onions. He's so hold on, it's coming. They're a little about this high, I'm still working. He's still cultivating, he's working all that. Eventually, what happens, think about this, guys. Growth, then fruit. Eventually, Joe goes, I got the onions. What does he do? Jot this down. The fruit that you produce is always for somebody else. The fruit that you produce. Joe goes, here you go, Ben. And I have that onion. Go, yeah, make some salsa. Let's go. Ah, it's good stuff. Here's what James is saying. Joe, did you find some onions? I sure did. Um... It's been six months now, I haven't seen anything. Yeah, but the little cart says onions. I know. Eight months later, Joe, you got any onions? Oh, maybe. Maybe. There is never no growth, and there's never no fruit. And a year goes by, and what does Joe do? He'll, he takes my tiller, and he tills it up. That's an inside joke. We'll talk later. James, in this section, warns us, church, that faith without works is dead. And here's what, here's what Warren Wearsby says, quote, Beware of intellectual faith. No man can come to Christ by faith and remain the same more than he can come into contact with a 220-volt wire, unquote. Is that true? Anybody ever get shocked before? 110 is okay. 220, you're in trouble. And 220, if you get hit by 220, ever, ever Caleb, 220? 
Okay, there you go. He's a changed man. That's why his hair's curly now. That's the 220. But see, that's the point. Warren Wearsby says to you and I, guys, just intellectual things aren't going to change, but he says we can't come to Christ in faith and not be changed. And not be changed. Now, let me just say this. Jot this down. We should constantly keep changing and growing. Okay, come on. You're like, amen, right? That's true. Now, they could take a deep look at your life and go, Lord, am I still growing? Am I still really growing on there? I'll tell you why. If you don't know by now, a fruit tree needs to be pruned. You guys with me? And Christians don't like to be pruned. We're, we're, we've got some fruit on us, and it's hanging. We're like, all right, this is good. And the Lord's like, hey, I, need a, I want to produce some more fruit, so I need to cut some stuff down. And you're like, uh-uh, that hurts, Lord. Ow, ow, ow. But here's what, here's what you don't know. Ooh, sometimes you've got to cut good fruit down to get better fruit. And so you and I, in our Christian walk, we go, well, why are you cutting down this? Lord, this is good fruit. This is good. This is... Like, look, and he's like, no, 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 I need to prune you just a little bit so that I can produce something. Lord, that's a good apple right there. That's a good, look, good size. You, good. And he's like, no, 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 watch this. And he prunes us, and we, oh, we bear the process, and we grow a little bit more, and you get some of the most delicious fruit you could ever make. That's what it's for. Here's my question to you. Have you ever seen your own fruit tree eat its fruit? You're like, no, it doesn't need its own fruit. It's usually picked and given to somebody else, and we eat it. We have all of this good stuff. This good. So, so what James is saying, Joe, your onions be a dead faith unless we see fruit. He's like, okay, I get that. Well, in the next se- section, James goes, okay, but maybe it's not a dead food, fruit or, or a dead faith, sorry, but it could be, mm, let me illustrate it this way, it could be a demonic faith, demonic faith. Let's look at verse 18. But some will say, you have faith, and I have works. Can you imagine? There you go. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Let me, let me paraphrase it this way. You ready? Some will argue, you say that God is, uh, God is by faith alone plus nothing. Well, I say that good works are important too. For without good works, you can't prove whether you have faith or not. But anyone can see that I have faith by the way I act. Now, here's what he's saying, okay? He's saying, listen, listen. Some might say that you have the gift of what? The gift of works. Oh, yeah, just just in my heart. Others go, no, 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 I don't have the gift of works. I have the gift of faith. I have the gift of faith. It's fine for you to have the gift of works and that you care for the needy. He goes, but that isn't my gift. But James says, I'll have none of this kind of thinking. Why? Why would James say that to us, guys? Because real faith is demonstrated by the works in the life of the believer. In the life of a believer. He goes, this is, now read it again, guys. Someone's going to go, hey, I have faith. And he goes, no, 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 I have works. And the other says, show me your faith without your works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. So, so they're missing the point of faith. Because remember, same faith, different elements. And then James comes back and says, no, 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 real faith. Real faith is going to be demonstrated by works in the life of a believer. 
here's the thing. You realize in the early church, nobody, nobody had to claim Christianity. Nobody said, hey, I'm a Christian in the early church. In the early church, you looked at their life and goes, you're a Christian. What they were saying is you're a follower of Christ. You're Christ-like. You act like Christ. And it would get them in trouble. It wasn't like today. But I got a question. When you go into places of your job and you go in places of your, you know, wherever it might be in the schools or wherever it is, guys, and uh, I would love it if somebody just went, man, you're different. You're really a believer. You see, we don't, want to be a, 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 we don't want to be a Christian in name only. Come on, church. We don't want to be a Christian in name only, and then, and then we don't have any works, and people are trying to decide whether, well, I'm not sure. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if you were a Christian. I don't want that. I want people to go, wow. Whew. I can see it. I can see that spirit inside you. You're loving. You're giving. You're kind. You're compassionate. Your, your works are, man, but if you can meet the need, you meet the need. So real faith is demonstrated by works. But look what he says in verse 19. Go to your Bibles. He says, you believe there is one God. You do well. He says, even the demons believe and tremble. Tremble. In other words, he's going, there's still some among you, okay? Only believing is enough. Well, I believe, right? You have that. You have people go, I believe. I mean, a great son said there has to be something. I believe in a higher power. He says it's not enough. Do you realize that believing, he says, believing in one God, amen. He says, but here's the shocker. Remember, he says, even the demons believe this too. So they strongly, they believe so strongly that they tremble in terror. Listen, the demons aren't saved. But demons have a stronger faith than some believers. They know. They were there. They don't have a problem. You see, there's a difference, though. What's the difference? The demons believe in the existence of God and understand that they are neither atheists nor agnostics, but they have what is called a dead faith. Intellectually, they believe this, uh, but it's a mixed with a demon faith, and it's a faith that's wrapped up in emotion. And notice, they believe and they tremble. You go, what does the word tremble mean? What is what they believe and they tremble? Well, it's it's a primary verb, and it means to to bristle or or to chill, to shudder in fear and tremble. And what is that? That's all based on emotions. It's all based on emotions. And James writes, listen, this is not a saving experience to believe and tremble. A person can be enlightened in his mind, even stirred in his heart, but be lost forever. This is really, this is really deep. This is really, really heavy. But let me tell you how God works. So this morning, I got up, and, and uh, as I was going through this a little bit and, and, and thinking and praying... I don't know if it was the Lord, but I felt this question. Have you ever asked this question? See, a lot of people get saved because they're afraid to go to hell. I mean, who would want to go to hell, right? I mean, this is like this is like the ultimate worst, you know, I mean, 
missing the presence of God, but the national, you know, we hear all of those stories about hell and, and, and this torment and all this stuff, right? So, so what's the game? Hey, how many of you want to go to hell? I don't want to go to hell. Okay, so give your life to the Lord. Okay, so we give our lives to the Lord because we're afraid to go to hell. And we have to work our way into a relationship with God to, to, to try to... But I was thinking about this, and here's the question that came to mind. If you knew, like you knew, that hell didn't exist, and Aubriana, I'm going to use you because you're sitting to my right here. Aubriana, you knew that hell didn't exist. And if you died, you would simply, you know what they say, non-exist. You'd go into the ground, there you would feel no pain, you would feel no nothing. You just, Aubriana was here, now she's not, amen. Would you still serve the Lord like you do? Because see, because it's like, okay, am I serving God because I'm afraid to go here? Or am I serving God because I truly love him? Now, now you guys like, amen. No, let it sink, let it sink in. Let it, that, that was deep. I'm sitting here going, and I, I just closed my Bible. I was like, Lord, are you, what are you trying to say here? And he reminded me. He said, guys, our hearts should be bent on this love for Jesus, not about, hey, I'm afraid of hell, or I don't, I don't want to go through bad stuff. It's just, it's all, it's all about Jesus. I love him. I love him. And we should answer with a resounding, amen, yes. I'm not worried about hell. He took the price for that. I want to just, I just, and, and that's where, oh, come on, guys. That's where the good fruit of a transformed heart comes from. It's a real, dynamic, beautiful, intimate relationship with the God that created you. But I know that we can scare people into giving their life. Hey, this is what hell is. And it's very true. Hell is this, this, and this. And a lot of preachers don't talk about hell. And so somebody goes, well, I'm not sure if I believe in God, but I don't want to go to hell, so I'll pray the prayer. So what happened? Uh, I guess I'm saved. I don't know. I'm saved. I'm saved. No, no, no. Our heart should be, Lord, (laughs) it's all you. And when you wake up in the morning, guys, he is your all in all. When you go to bed at night, he's your all in all. Throughout the day, the good works that come out of you is not because of your mom and daddy and how they brought you up, but the good works that come out of you is because your love for Jesus is just so overwhelming. That's, you just have to do it. You're going, I could, I could lose $50. I could go to the store and have $50 bill in my pocket. I could lose that. Or the Lord knocked on my heart very gently and says, hey, why don't you, why don't you pay for the groceries? Or whatever it might be. You know, you go to a restaurant after service and you see an elderly, elderly, elderly couple and God just, just says, why don't you bless them? Why don't you buy their... Why don't you? And they're just so grateful. And you're just like, well, why did you do that? Well, God told me. No reason. I love the Lord. I just, I just wanted to bless you. I, I just felt like that. You guys, and, and again, it could be across the board. 
It could be across the board. Why? Everybody say why. True faith involves something more, something that can be seen, a changed life. Have our lives truly changed? Have they truly changed? See, because James introduced us to two kinds of faith that can never save the sinner. A dead faith, this intellectual alone, head knowledge, and a demonic faith, which includes intellect and emotions. But now he closes this section, guys, by describing the kind of faith that can save us. You ready? It's called the dynamic faith. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, James hits us with a true changed life, a life that's filled with this dynamic faith. A dynamic faith that's a faith that's real, faith that has power, and faith that results in true change. Look at verse 20. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Good question. He says, let me illustrate what faith looks like in the life of a believer. Verse 21. Was not, here's his illustration, Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar. That's a great way to go. Why? Remember who he's writing to. He's writing to Jewish believers who are going to go back and go, Father Abraham had many sons. You remember we used to do that in Sunday school? Well, this is where, and so right away they're going, wait a minute. And, oh, wait, you mentioned Abraham. There are two key people in the Old Testament that Jewish people look at, Moses and Abraham. Moses was the law, and Abraham, okay, well, what, what, what are you trying to say? He says, was not Abraham our father? He goes, perk up, and he uses the word justified. The word justified there shows to vindicate, show to be righteous. In other words, he said, did not Abraham show fruit? He said fruit. And Paul uses the term to mean just as if I've never sinned. And so this goes down to the root. Was not Abraham vindicated by works when he offered? Yeah. Think about it for a minute. How much faith did Abraham have to have to take his son, his only son, and purpose to kill him? I don't know about you, but if we're being honest... I would try to get my wiggle my way out of that. There's no way. Lord, are you serious? There's no way. But he knew. And he and, and, and again, this was this was for the purpose. So James could write to you and I and go, look, this is what a dynamic faith looks like. What's that? Verse 22. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? Yes, he believed, and so he really believed. Do you realize that Abraham believed so much that he actually believed that God was going to resurrect Isaac from the dead? If he actually swung the the axe for the sacrifice, that God was going to raise him up. He says, me and the lad will be back. Can you imagine the young boy going, uh, yo, dad, <laughs> where's the where's the sacrifice, man? I mean, we're going up to my son, you're it. Say, what? But he believed. He believed. And again, the point is, is that, look, do you see that the faith working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. 
I believe, Lord. And he says, and the scripture was fulfilled when he says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not faith only. Likewise, here's another illustration. Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works? when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. As for the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Guys, this is amazing because this is what a dynamic faith looks like. You see, both Abraham and Rahab had not met the Lord Jesus. And yet they still believed. And by their belief, their lives were changed. You see, he went from Abram to Abraham. God knocks on his heart and says, okay, you know, I promised you a son. I said, you, I said nations are going to come from you, Abraham. And you guys know the thing, right? He looks at his wife and she's nighting. and he's like, I don't think so, Lord. I mean, how's this going to go? And so he trusted God. And then what happened, church? I mean, there's, oh, there's, there's Isaac. There's Isaac. That's cool. God, you are awesome. God is, man, woo, got my son. This starts to grow. And then God knocks on his heart once again. He says, yeah, God, do you see Isaac here? He's growing to be. He says, now, now, he's growing up to be a young man. Why don't you take him and sacrifice him to me? You know, uh, end call. And Abraham says, no, no, no. Yes, sir. Come on, guys. You and I right now are probably, so Lord, I want that faith. I want that deep faith that changes, that, that I just trust you. I just trust you. What about Rahab? You know, I mean, when I say Thomas, what comes to mind? Doubting, right? That's... That's like, I mean, that's not even his name, right? Doubting, but we call him Doubting Thomas. Look at her. She's known throughout the Bible as Rahab the harlot. It's like, look, son, I have other qualities, you know? <laughs> I've done other stuff. I'm just not, a, I'm just not right? It just, it's, it's funny story, and I'll tell you why. He's not here today, but Jeremiah texted me yesterday, and Jeremiah asked me, Pastor, I got a favor. Can I use you as a reference, a future reference for something? And I said, absolutely, bro, definitely. And he goes, okay, can you text me your full name? And I said, Jeremiah, you don't know my name? And he sent back, pastor. <laughs> that's, all, that's, all, that's it, pastor. And I'm like, okay, I get it. So, so again, think about this, guys. It was, it was just so classic, but think about this. Doubting Thomas goes out history for you and I, and we go home as doubting. He's like, he's going to get to heaven. He goes, look, I'm not doubting anymore. It's one time, okay? Who wrote this down? Rahab's like, look, I was a harlot, but that didn't define me. Come on. But this is who it is. But notice, Rahab the harlot also justified how? When she received the messengers and sent them out another way. She says, hide under here, but remember me. Remember me. And James says to you and I, look, the body without the spirit 
the body without spirit is dead, and so faith without works is also dead. So as we close, you have three types of faith. There's a dead faith that's intellectual only. Your life hasn't changed. And listen, yesterday um, we were invited to a funeral of a young lady who passed from cancer. And one of the songs that just touched our heart is, is when I come to die, give me Jesus. You know that one, just give me. And I'm thinking, just think about that song. When I come to die, give me Jesus. And, and really, when we think about it, if you and I were to take our final breath, I don't want to have just an intellectual faith. And then he says, hey, what about, what about the second faith, a demonic faith? You see, because that's just intellect with, with, with emotions. Oh, yeah, there has to be something. <laughs> but the demons believe and tremble as well. They're, they're, they're scared. No, no, no. A dynamic faith says this, that you, the root of your salvation is your faith and trust in Christ. And the life that's now changed is producing fruit. That's the fruit of your salvation. And they go hand in hand, like peanut butter and, ah, see, nobody said peanut butter and honey, why? Because peanut butter and jelly go hand in hand, and so does faith and works. So as we close, church, let me ask you this. How's it going? You know what do you mean? Oftentimes, we have to do a heart check and say, Lord, am I really producing fruit? Am I producing fruit? Can you imagine if you and I in this church got a handle and a grip on such dynamic faith what we could do in our city? Just this dynamic, amazing. Could you imagine if we got a handle on it? I got to be honest with you. I got to be honest with you. Guys, when I first got saved, I had a great, I had this dynamic faith that wanted to tell everybody about Jesus, even to the point of sometimes being obnoxious. Now, I know that's hard for you to understand, but I get that. And then moving here, it, it, it sort of went from this uh, dynamic faith to, to more of an intellect. Well, you know, let me, let me see I'm pick and choose. I don't know. Everybody in Lubbock is saved, and I don't want to offend anyone, and, and I... And sometimes we find ourselves doing that. We keep going back. And I want to go back to that dynamic faith. What does a dynamic faith look like in your life? There's a big difference, guys, because there's no disconnect between your heart and your wallet. We give. We give unto the Lord. It it all belongs to him. We, if we can meet a need, we try to meet the need. If that means buying food for somebody, we'll buy food for somebody. What does a dynamic faith look like? Let me tell you what it looks like very practical. 
my sweet sister, Eva O'Reilly. She brought me cookies today. That's a dynamic faith. Oh, no, no, no. They're just not normal cookies. You don't understand. These are New Mexico Biscochito cookies. My friend Keon and Larry and Joe Mabry. I didn't tell them. They were out shoveling snow. Why would you do? Why would you men do that? Pastor didn't tell you. Oh, you had other men looking inside. Hey, yeah, you missed a spot over there, bro. No, no, no. Let me tell you why. They did it because there's something inside of them that says, hey, I love the body of Christ, and I don't want anyone to fall. Why does Philip follow me everywhere I go? Because he loves and he protects, and that's it's it, what he does. You understand that? It's 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 the that's what a dynamic faith looks like. In the why does somebody say, "Hey, I'll, I'll teach children's ministry"? Oh, because I want God to see me, Lord. I'm I'm cleaning the bathrooms. I'm sweeping the parking lot. I'm God, and the Lord's like, "I know," but you're doing it because you love me. You love me. We all have dynamic faith, and what we do, we don't do so we're recognized. We're due because we love Jesus, and it's just the fruit that's from us. I get an amen on that one. And so how's your fruit? Some of us are going to be pruned so we can bear much fruit. Somebody's going to come pick your fruit. You go, Amen. If you don't pick the fruit, then it rots and it falls down. Somebody's got to eat the fruit. That's the key. That's the Christian life. That's what James says. He says, don't be a pretender anymore. Be the real deal. Be the real deal. How, pastor? Well, sometimes we need to take a step back and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've, I've stepped back from you from intellectually. I know, I know you're God. I see the sunset. I believe in you. But then I realized, so did the demon. So I, I'm going to need to really step up my game. God, I repent. Come into my heart. Lord, help me be that Christian. Help me be what you want me to be. Because I love you. Amen. Father, we thank you today for your word and the truth, God, in your word. Lord, you are growing us up through the book of James. You are tearing down all the things that are not pleasing to you and building us back up in the most holy faith. Thank you. Lord, you're amazing and wonderful, and we give you all the honor and glory. And now, Lord, we're here to worship you. Lord Jesus, receive our worship, receive our praise, receive our adoration. We love you this morning here. We thank you. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let me pray a blessing over you, and then Talia will close us out in the last song, or Aubriana, whoever. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. 
You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.